Hello, dreamers. Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time watching or listening, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. Share it. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. Everything helps. So thanks, at the very least, for just being here. today's episode, I'm once again joined by my good friend Ryan Kinney in the guest co-host seat to interview a rock legend that we've both been a huge fan of for over two decades. He is the lead singer and guitar player for the band Monster Magnet, whose new album A Better Dystopia is out now. Please give it up for the one and only Dave Windorf. much man you good to just get right into it oh yeah how long we got you for as long as you want beautiful until it gets horrible <laughs> so five minutes no i but I, you know it's always interesting to me doing a podcast i mean that's what you guys always have to think of it's like how much do we need you know how yeah, much do you really like when is it the whole podcast thing gonna everybody gonna wake up and go you know a lot of this stuff really sucks we should really start editing yeah definitely but then you never know when so it's going to get, you know. That's the thing. Like if you go long form, those later hours when you start to loosen yeah. up and almost forget you're in an interview style, that's when people start talking about the good shit. When I was a kid, long form radio was big. It went away. But when I was like 12, late 60s, early 70s, long form radio was like podcast is now. Like from nine o'clock at night to all night, people would just go and they would forget what, where they were and they would go off. So all, you know, if you go two hours into it, some guy would go in with the biggest pitch in the world and then wind up going completely off his shit. And it was awesome. It was worth listening to. So but now that everybody can do it, it's just like, where are you going to sift through? We really have to wait for the guy to like, after two hours of the interview, open up his shirt and show the suicide bomb, you know, and go, (laughs) I'm going now to the Empire State Building. Like, holy shit, we got one. (laughs) And history, horrible history is made. Yeah, I mean, that's why Joe Rogan got so big. Like, they just, they go, and then an hour yeah. in, once all the, once all Rogan, the promotion Rogan's is Rogan's a done. smart guy. He's, he's, he's a, a, total, a total player in that respect of, of sitting there and going, yeah, 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 yeah. He knows how to um, get the kook out of people. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's the, a joint or a glass of whiskey. And it might take an hour, but that's when the good stuff. Yeah, that's old school shit, too. Yeah, absolutely. Don't deny him anything. Like, give him a drink for the love of God, like straight off. Like, go ahead, man. You're among friends. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that, uh, 
like I wish we could do this in person because that's when you get you get the better conversation in person anyway. Like you can feed off people a little better rather than absolutely. over Zoom. Um, absolutely. Although that has its own intricacies too, which could be better and sometimes worse. There's a, a definite new thing going on here now, which never before in history, where you have people who start to gravitate into a personal situation, yet they're not physically present. So I don't know what that, that kind of mindset would go, but I know if they're drinking, they'll go a lot farther than if they were in person. Absolutely. Because there's no one like breathing that, you know, it's like, there's no, there's almost like a disconnect from the person they're talking to and they're more connected to themselves. Like basically meltdowns are us. Mm. You know, I mean, how many Zoom meltdowns have we seen? How, how many, I mean, how many, you know, the whole world is just basically waiting for the chance to go, you know, something, I have something to say also. Then, <laughs> well, right before you got on, we were talking about the same thing and how like there's been CEOs and politicians getting caught, giving her a little tug, like at the end of Zoom meetings, forgetting yeah. to shut her down. And I mean, this is hilarious the way things are playing Yeah, they're out. just not making the connection between what's real and what's not real. <laughs> and, uh, and I love how everybody thinks they can handle it. You know, like, yeah, I got it, man. I got my cock here. I got my girl <laughs> here. I got my work here. And it's like, dude, you never, you know, that's yeah. always a bad idea. So how do you, how do you like the in-person versus internet interview style? Um, I like them both. I mean, it's, if I'm really busy, you know, obviously to get the job done, it's easier to do it this way. But, oh yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, in-person interviews are always better. Yeah. There used to be a lot of time put out for that in the, in the old times, in the old days, they used to actually like set up a, a, a huge meeting room and fly journalists to places for bands to like see them. So, you know, at no expense to the journalists, they get like a free flight maybe a free hotel. And if you were at a major label and they go and you just go in a conference room all day or some hotel lobby or a bar and just hang out all day, it was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. Same with, uh, well, PR tours, like going city to city and promoting things yeah. on different radio stations and stuff. And now that can all be done in one, one shot, one day. Right. I did that a lot too. A lot of airplanes and, um, I remember going to Europe a bunch of times because there was always like 21 cities in 17 days. You know, airplanes almost every day. But it was cool because you actually, not only do you meet people and, and talk to them, but you actually wind up with them at one point. So I used to know the journalist. You know, we used to go out and like talk and stuff. And then they'd go, you know, I got to be, you know, I really like you, but I think your album sucks. So I'm going to have to give you a bad review. And I'm like, All right, do what you have to do. <laughs> So are you, you like, what's going to, what's going to happen now with the new album? And like, are you going to be touring it and are you going to be doing any PR stuff like that? Like you just mentioned? No, nobody's going to fly me around. Um, <laughs> here, have a diseased, <laughs> here, take this diseased person, this viral carrier. Come on in. No, I don't think, I don't think, I think they fly people like the, the only people they would fly around anymore would be like Pink Floyd or somebody or, Taylor Swift or somebody would generate that much numbers. Right. But I think all the rest of rock is just really down. I mean, rock is, you know, it's 15% of the world market. 
15%. Is that an actual number? That's a number. Wow. Yeah. What is, so just pop music is just taken over, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the kids have decided. The kids aren't all right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they, this is their thing. You know, yeah, rock's never going to die, but I mean, it, it's a weird, it's a weird position when you look at an audience and at, at, at any rock band and the average person is over 25. That's a bad sign, dude. Yeah. You know, it's, definitely, mean? Shif- it's definitely shifted for rock. Like touring has become the main income stream for a rock and roll band. Whereas like pop musicians and the younger generations can make a living on social media. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, rock could too if they really, really tried, but I don't know what the what the expenditure of energy is, you know? I mean, the kids on social media and, and, and with pop and stuff like that, they spend all their energy, probably more energy than they make on creating the music, on managing their social media. Yeah, 100% yeah. on marketing way, way more than the actual. You know, and it's like, I don't know where that leaves any room, doesn't leave that room for them to really tour like rock bands do. Maybe they'll do like 11 cities or something, but rock bands do 36, you know, and 66 cities. That's in like an old business model. It's like, yeah, if you go around, you get word of mouth from people, uh, actual people who see it, who are into the live experience as well as the record, and that's how you build. It seems like modern, like, especially internet sensations or pop sensations really are about just social media, you know, getting the blast on TikTok or Instagram and, and trying to get whatever you, where you're going to get from that. I, I don't see, I don't know how that could last, but I guess it's fun if you're a kid. I mean, it's no fun for me. It just seems like, you know, kind of bullshit, but yeah. You know, what are you going to say? Like these, these people have spoken you know? to me. I think it's less about the music and it's more about the person. Like oh. with rock, rock and roll is definitely more about the music. Whereas these pop stars and TikTok yeah. stars and social media stars, it's oh. about the personality. And, and yeah, their, their personal brand, like, yeah, brand absolutely. Yeah, totally. And it's like, and it's how much does music, what does music represent to them in their life? Um, in the rock model, which was really set kind of the rock model that we know, was set like in the late 60s and early 70s. It was kind of put in place. Um, music is this thing. Um, it's part image, part music. The balances will shift depending on like, you know, if you got a Jim Morrison in a band, you know, it's, the image is going to be that big because it's Jim fucking Morrison. But it doesn't mean that you can't be a Pink Floyd with no personality and still be big. It's the music was number one. And I think the music like really was used by people, kids to represent their themselves. Like, look, there's a lot of shit. I know how I feel, but I can't really explain myself. Let me put on animals by Pink Floyd. That'll let you know how I feel. Or like, I really feel like fucking, uh, you know, ACDC. That's the way I feel. I can't explain it, but here's the music. Nowadays, the kids explain themselves. Like the music is only for them to put in a list of like, of like ancillary things like oh yeah i got my jams over here i got my favorite shows i got my favorite songs blah 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 but as far as representing myself i'll do that all fucking day it's almost like there's so much talk 
that there's really not enough room for any kind of intricate music in their lives. I mean, that takes too much time. I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, can we, can you think of an example of a rock band in the last five or 10 years that has the same presence or appeal as like, like I say, an ACDC or a Pink Floyd? Like it doesn't seem to happen anymore for rock music. The the, the system, the system won't allow for it. You know what I mean? It's like the system is different. So um, it's a systemic thing. Meaning the system is to get them in quick. Um, keep up a constant barrage, social media barrage. Um, and if you can ma- manipulate the numbers, you know, a lot of these, these sensations that we think are big on TikTok and stuff really aren't that big. You know, they seem like they're big because it's a wildfire of attention and stuff. But if you actually had to put asses in the seats, if you toured that around the world, it, it wouldn't get past Cleveland. Yeah, the, you know, the, type like, of, the type of people that make it big aren't the type of people that are going to be hanging on for a ride or anything. They're a, they're a fly-by-night sort of thing. Right, which means... And, and why hasn't there been any rock bands to, you know, kind of do it all? You can't keep waiting for somebody to do it all. Wow, they got social media and they're filling up stadiums, you know, living the dream, that kind of, all that kind of shit. Um I don't think that you can get that many people to agree on any one thing for more than a couple months, unless it's got heritage behind it. Like, yeah, people will go see the Rolling Stones because the Rolling Stones are one of the most promoted bands and they have 60 years of people to drag from. And even, you know, it goes up to about, I think about the nineties before music went digital, before Napster, before Apple music, before Spotify and all that stuff. Bands were still in the model of of uh, reaching a lot of people in it's in a little slower way, sticking in and being able to go on classic radio to be I don't know deified I guess we call it deified and say this is a classic rock band. They don't make classic rock bands anymore because the system doesn't have time to promote them. Like it's just done, you know. It's done. Like. You can't get any further. You have to be a classic rock band from that age or we won't let you in. And a bunch of bands have tried it. You know, Mastodon has tried it. Uh, Muse has tried it. They got the big managers. They got Metallica's managers. They did all the right things. But, you know, you get Grammys, and you, but you don't see it. It's not like, holy shit, you know, yeah, the concert's coming to town. But so many things have changed, like, Concert doesn't mean as much before because you can see it on YouTube months ahead. You know, yeah, true. When you have people choosing, when you have your fans choosing your set list for you, and you have all this interaction between the fans even before the record comes out and stuff, the mystery uh, is gone. You know, it's just like it's almost almost automatically expected that. So it, it's not as much fun, you know, and and how could anything be as much fun as you getting your brain ready for something that you really haven't seen yet? And then you kind of explode when you go to the show. Now it's like, yeah, I saw three shows. I don't like the set list. It's like, what are you kidding me? You don't get to choose that shit, but they do. Yeah. So when you guys are touring, are you different set list every night, essentially? No, no. Usually for each tour, I'll do a different set list. And, uh, because it just like it just basically gets better the more we play it, you know. Yeah. 
we'll switch it up here and there. But lately, I've been trying to do it for different things. One time, I switched songs around a lot, and the people were actually pissed off at it. Interesting. They were like, yeah, they were just like, you know, I thought I was going to get this. And it, it opens up a whole, the internet opens up a whole can of worms where it's like, I thought I was going to get this. I saw this. I was like, dude, you know, <laughs> we're just a band, you know. So I've noticed that there's a couple songs that you don't, you just don't not play. Right. Because they'll kill you. You know, if you had a hit song at one time, like we had a hit song called Space Lord, like a million years ago. And they're still like, where the fuck is it? <laughs> right. But I'll do album centric tours. That's how we switch it up. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that you guys have done a, a few tours that have been uh, like re replaying. Um, I think, well, you were, you were about to do one with power trip, weren't you? Before the, all this happened. And then yeah, we did half of it. We did the first half in Europe and then uh, Corona got everybody. And then you did a dopes to infinity one too, didn't you? Yeah. Years back. Yeah. That, that would have been crazy to see. And we're doing a we're doing a Spine of God show this uh, New Year's in Asbury, and if that that goes well, people dig that. We can take that around too. But it's a good way to like unpack all the um, all the albums. Yeah, I got like eleven albums now. I never like could imagine myself having eleven albums. It's like a lot. Dude. What are you gonna do for the set? I honestly don't know. We got eleven albums. It's you know. yeah. I mean. Are you have you got a chance to tour the new album? No, and I'm hoping to at least in Europe we'll get to do that. I, I know I'm going to Europe next year, and uh, there'll, there'll be a final way for me to to tour that album in North America as well. You know, yeah, um, I don't see any, I mean, the songs are great on it, so I don't think it's people are gonna you know complain, you know, because it was a oh, coverage okay. record or whatever. It's a wicked album, yeah. I, I had a chance to go through it uh, when it came out, and I, I haven't stopped listening to it since. Thanks. We got together uh, not too long ago, just like after it was all done, and played a bunch of that stuff live in the studio. I was like, this is great. It sounds great live. It's like insane, you know? And I get to sing all that 60s style, and it's, it's really cool. Like, It feels great. Yeah, so, so what is what is new right now? Like, what's... What's going on with you? What's the plan? Are things getting back to normal for you? Like, how's yeah, that? Yeah, it's slowly bored out of my mind. You know, it's, I'm not used to uh, not playing. You know, we should have we should have played like three times so far in the last like seven months or eight. Uh, sitting around um, trying to make up uh, the plan for next year, really. You know, so now just there's like two tours planned and maybe a third. One of them be in North America, two of them in Europe, and then just get back out there. I mean, like you say, like the way you make your money these days is is on the road. But not only that, it's like there's not much reason. It's weird. I mean, doing projects online or doing projects for just online music is cool, and I can imagine being a kid and doing whatever you know, to get, but to be in an actual band with people that are working towards a, like a, a certain vibe that's going to go out live. It's like, unless you're playing it live, there's really no reason for you to be a band. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's like, what are you? Oh, we're a conceptual art thing that says band on it. And we put it on band camp and like, but are you It's like, what do you do? Yeah. We get together like once a month. And it's like, no, you're not a band. You're a band if you play like 60 nights in a row. Then you're a band. 
And it's like, yeah. Yeah. and if you have a, if you have a live energy, that's when you're abandoned. My books. Yeah, I mean, you should you look like you're happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, got, you know, you're bringing something that can't be replicated on the studio albums. Exactly, an experience above above yeah. just the recording. That was always the thing I loved it because I all I did was go to concerts when I was a kid, you know, and I love those albums to death. And then you go and you see the band, and, and they brought something else to it because it's different. It sounds different. There's different kind of energy. And uh, most of the time it was, if not better, just so different that I couldn't imagine myself missing that experience. Exactly. I was like, I don't know this band unless I see them live. I, I know the album and I love it, but, you know, and some bands were better live, some bands were worse, but it was always worth going. Yeah, I'm conscious for the shit. Man. That's all I did when I was a kid was go to a million concerts. Yeah, that's... And it's it's said all the time, but live is the way to see a band. That that is the band. Studio can give you a, an idea of what you're going to get, but yeah, uh, the live performance is what the song is. You can yeah. you can tweak anything on the computer, and I guess to bookend what we started with, that's what those TikTokers are doing in social media. Like there's it's clips of music or dancing that is edited and perfected, and it it has nothing to you they've tried taking these TikTok stars on tour and they put them in arenas and it just doesn't translate. And it's, no, it's not popular. Does. They probably don't even know what they're doing. The poor bastards are like, what do I do in here? Um, no, I would guess, you know, uh, to be nice to those guys, like the art is in the editing. Exactly. exactly. You know, exactly. It's like a reality TV show, you know, like reality TV show, the art in a reality TV show is the editing. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have a reality, one of those reality TV shows on stage because nothing would happen because it wasn't edited. Exactly. So is that it just doesn't work live. It's not live. Like the TikTok stuff, that's not. That is a construct that involves music and images and editing. Exactly. But a live band is just a live band. It's like they either got it or they don't. It's so interesting because I love it because so much is thrown to the gods in that way. Like, you know, what happened? How come it, it wasn't good? I don't know. What is it the audience's fault? Is it our fault? Was it the sound system's fault? Um, and conversely, that was the greatest thing I ever saw. But was it really? Maybe I was just in a good mood. Maybe the hall sounded good. Maybe the night was weird. All those variables, physical, human, you know, variables. Oh, I saw a chick at this concert. It was great. And the band was fucking great. Now, maybe if you didn't see the chick, the, the show wouldn't have been that good. But I love That's leaving right. it up to perception. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've seen my favorite band before and come out of it saying that was one of the worst shows I've ever seen and talk right. to the person beside me saying it was the best show they've ever seen. Yeah. So now we're talking about perception, um, individual perception. Um, and most of that, I mean, the band controls it as much as they can to represent themselves, but in no way is it as nearly contrived as this TikTok stuff, which is minutely edited. I mean, that's more like we're talking, they're using adver- TV advertising tricks. That's what TikTok is. They use TV advertising methods. Yeah, mar- almost mar- oh, marketing, really. Mar- marketing, right. Advertising, marketing methods to do this stuff, which is cool. Um, but What, I, what that, specifically do you mean? Like, what kind of tricks are they using? Well, 
I mean, if, if you can edit stuff, if you can move an image here and there and make it sync up with something, um, you know, if you can sync that one second to the next, like, I mean, you could do it in, in Pro Tools and music too, but if you have images to work with as well, you're presenting not just music, but you're pre presenting a performance that's, um, uh, was nothing was left to chance. You know, I mean, nothing was, that's not spontaneous. That's right. the opposite of spontaneous. Right. When bands, even the most choreographed bands are like, there's something left to spontaneity. And even choreographed bands, they got their shit. You know, they get a lot of shit. Yep. You know, if you have one of those, like, you know, giant Swedish metal bands, like Sabaton or something, it's like, you know, it's like, well, it's more like a Broadway show than it is like a real rock concert. Right. But I guess if you have a big giant tank on stage, everybody loves the tank. <laughs> well, that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you about, uh, like your first band when you were younger, Shrapnel. Yeah. yeah. So, Shrapnel. so I read that it was kind of like a militaristic concept band. So did, was, yeah. there, was there some choreographed stuff and like, what, what was a live show looking like for Shrapnel? And uh, we had, it, it was so fucking retarded. Um, <laughs> pardon me. Retarded in the best sense. <laughs> we got the idea from a manager. We were in a hard rock band called Heart Attack, was just playing like old, just like we we're playing music like UFO would have played in 1974. Okay. And kind of MC5, kind of UFO, Stooges, all this mixture of hard rock that hit us when we were kids because that's my age my age group so it was like kind of stooges kind of ufo you know and uh long hair but not hippie you know and leather jackets and stuff before punk rock and punk rock happened and we met this guy legs mcneil who's this famous writer um from new york city he had founded a thing with john holstrom called punk magazine and it was the beginning of punk rock and he had an idea. It's like, I'll be your manager. I think he wanted to be like Malcolm McLaren to the sex business. So he said, we'll call the band Shrapnel and we'll be the ultimate punk band because we'll be like American military, which was really, really, uh, you know, I mean, just the most anti-New York scene thing you could do at the time. It was just so god awful. It, it wasn't that long since Vietnam. So, but we would be like little kids because we looked like little kids. And it was all derived from war comic books um, and TV shows and a celebration of junk culture and idiot, uh, that kind of idiot 60s war culture that made kids grow up and go to Vietnam and go, well, I'll get some World War II, huh? And the next thing you know, they get blown away. So <laughs> it was very offensive because um, and, and, it was so innocent. We had a stage with a giant American flag, sandbags, like sandbags around the drums, army uniforms, except we were like little kids. So the oh army helmet would come down like over your, <laughs> over your eyes, plastic machine guns, and come out there and go, let's go, like an old World War II movie. And it was just so absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's amazing. And, and we're like, yeah. And, and then we wrote songs called like Cro-Magnon Man, where this guy, you know, I, I was thinking Alice Cooper at the time. Like, yeah, what would Alice Cooper do? He'd have a character who turns into this like nuclear waste guy, you know, uh, uh, kind of a Hulk 
turns into the Incredible Hulk because of some reason or another, too much Americanism. And I had this big giant bomb on stage and put this plastic mask on and run around with a giant bomb and attack the audience with the bomb. Run around the audience with a plastic machine gun. Man, if we were to do that now, I'd be shot in two seconds, you know? That's but awesome. Back then, it just seemed like, for some reason, it seemed like a cool thing to do. It was not cool. But it seemed cool. I, I think it's great. I, I like the idea of, like, the, the concept concert. Concept concert. Yeah. Oh, it was fun because we put it together. I mean, it was like vaudeville, basically, you know, like... Mm. It's not like we had any money, so we made our own, you know, sandbags and fill them up with like you know the styrofoam peanuts. Um, we'd sometimes put barbed wire around the stage to make it, and put dirt on the stage to make it look like a battleground. But all in small places like punk rock, we we got our start at CBGBs, so this was not metal uh, at all. You know, this is not a, a metal thing. We were thinking uh, in terms of out punking the punks in some bizarre way. But then punk rock was different back then. It was more like if you had a weird idea, a conceptual idea, that's where you did it in punk rock. I mean, that's how the Ramones happened. The Ramones yeah. were really like a conceptual well, it, art band. Because you know? even uh, like a lot of the a lot of the noise bands and uh, and art rock bands like from New York, like early Sonic Youth and that stuff, like was born out of the the punk hardcore scene too, right? So yes, so, so you kind of um, had that performance stage art going on too. They always had some sort of arty angle. I mean, New York was so it, it was still really, really under the spell of, of Warhol back then. Even then, you know, even in the eighties, I mean, New York is such a weird place. Um, everything had some art angle to it, um, and of course, our thing had no art in it. And our stuff was like <laughs> art—the art of comic books, you know. And at one point, I, I think I we went out and I bought like McDonald's cheeseburgers to force the American experience, the American junk experience. It was me in an army uniform, like throwing cheeseburgers at people, like, <laughs> eat, you know, eat the American food and, and like all <laughs> kinds of weird comments. And uh, yeah, and wrote songs that were, uh, I didn't even write those songs. I didn't write the song at the beginning, but we eventually calmed down. Like after legs left, it got less radical. And then finally lost the uniforms altogether. And, then stood around going, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> I think it's time to stop. But CBGB's in New York was, was fun. It was good stuff. No doubt. Did any of that cross over into Monster Magnet? I think maybe the only way with me and that I always had some sort of concept in my brain um, because I was so, it was so much fun doing that. Um, that when I thought of Monster Man, it, it was definitely from a place of love. It wasn't concept first, but I think in the back of my brain was like, what would be my favorite band for me to see? Like, and, and what would they look like? And, uh, and I think from Shrapnel kind of taught me that a look, even, even how minimal is still a look. You know, it never escaped me like during the grunge thing. Like we came out during grunge monster magnet and uh, you know, the grunge started with like, Oh, we don't have any look, but I knew that it was a look, you know, it was like, Oh, no look is it. That's your stick. You know, yeah, everybody's no got a stick, no matter what they say, it's like, Oh, so your stick is no stick. huh? <laughs> and so ours was uh, 
you know, I just want to look like a bunch of 70s dirtbags. You know, the way the kids look when I was a little kid, when I was 12, you know, when I was 12 in like 1969, people had a look and it was very much like grunge, except um, no flannel. It was just like white beaters, you know, just just like mean guy, mean hippie guys from the gas station, hippies that were, weren't nice. It was like, <laughs> why is that hippie mean? You know, eh, fuck you. And they listened to Blue Cheer Records or Grand Funk and yeah. did a lot of speed. And I thought that was like the ultimate. It's like, wow, what a, that'd be a cool thing for a band, just a bunch of dirt bags. <laughs> so Dave, in the in the early days, like for Monster Magnet coming out of New Jersey and out of, out of the East, um, like were you guys aware of like the the desert scene and and the stuff going on in California, sort of at the same time? And like, not at, at first. Um, at the first for the first couple of years, I wasn't aware of the desert scene because I don't think it was going on. Um, I think it happened at right at the same time we were doing our stuff. The desert scene happened at the same time. So I remember playing CBGBs early on and meeting Brant Bjork from Caius oh. was coming to the show. And he gave me the first Caius record, which Crazy. wasn't quite the desert rock it, that it turned into. You know, it was different, a little bit different at first. And uh, I was just going off of, you know, butthole surfers. Mud honey. That's who was psyching me up. And then I found out about the desert thing and was like, oh, holy shit. So, and then Fu Manchu came out and I was like, oh, I think there's something going on here. Yeah. Cause I mean, you guys definitely sound different, but you know, they, uh, they're definitely along the same vein. So I was always kind of curious of that if, if you guys were sort of hip to each other or if it was just uh, parallels. We were, we were hip. It just took a little, I, I think, but I think when all those bands were, Magnet and Caius and Fu Manchu and I think when those guys were all doing their th first doing their thing I don't think we were very aware of each other but we very soon were like hey that guy looks cool you know like cross street like I think he's got it you know as soon as you saw it, it, it was weird to see you know to see a pair of bell bottoms and a really long-haired guy in uh, in the suburbs in 1990 yeah or, or before that 1989 it was so you didn't see that many like long hair was kind of gone you know and uh when it started to come back it was like oh you know you could see oh that's my brother over there you know, long hair guy but it wasn't metal and i think that was the big thing it was big you know we're all young and like this is not metal don't get us confused and we didn't want to be confused with guns and roses or uh or hair metal or anything like that yeah it seemed very important to make the distinction. Well, it was because the, the people that want to kind of associate with you and wave that flag are trying to disassociate from that thing, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. So. Isn't that amazing how, when you're a kid, how important it is? Like, don't get like, whatever you do, don't confuse anybody. They have to know, you know, yeah, this is when you're young, it's important to, it's, it's so it's important for everyone to know who you hate as much as who you like. Definitely. I hate this. <laughs> I, I'm not like that anymore, but I used to be like, no, you know. I mean, that kind of describes everything that's going on in the world right now. Fuck. It's, it's almost more important <laughs> to let people know what you hate than it is what you represent. It's no way to go. Yeah. Nothing good will come from this. I've never seen the world act more. You know, I mean, the world was more insane when I was a kid. I got to say, it was more nuts in 60, 68, 69, 70. It was more dangerous because 
that there was stuff blowing up everywhere. I mean, there was bomb. And if you look at the history of just look up like how many bombings in the United States in 1969, you'll see like 30, you know, um, things were blowing up. Things were burning. People were getting shot all over the place. But at the end of it, you could see that light at the end of the tunnel. It looked like everyone was going, all right, we're trying to, everyone's trying to understand each other's viewpoint or not or whatever. But there seemed to be an end to it. Like maybe if you get rid of the Vietnam War and maybe if we get through this, things will settle down. Now it just seems like people are just fighting because they like to fight. I mean, even the idealism doesn't make sense to me. At least back then it did, you know, bring down the old structure. But it's like, this whole thing now on the left and the right is everyone's talking big ideals. It doesn't really make much sense to normal people. I don't think it's like, no, you, you don't want to burn everything down. No, that's a stupid idea. And, and the other thing is, well, then we'll just, I mean, I don't even know what the right has to say. They have nothing to say except hate. It's almost like they're on this weird death trip. We'll just say no till everything goes to hell. I don't get that, but all I know is that this should be the smartest and coolest time in history. What the fuck happened? We got the best machines we ever had. Look at these things. Right. This is like my dream when I was a little kid. When I was a kid, all I could dream about, like someday there'll be fucking computers and it'll be fucking badass, you know? I'm back there with like one rotary phone, <laughs> you know, one TV in the house with three channels going, someday it's going to be great. And then we get all this stuff. And what does everybody do? Fight. Yeah. Well, it's it's the behind the screen thing that you were talking about with uh, how people can, when they feel alone, they it's safer. You're you're behind a screen. You're protected. There's no, yeah. there's no consequence. Disturbing. Um, disturbing to see the power shift, too, because now a lot of people um, who never had power before in their life, because they couldn't physically represent themselves, so they just had to shut up. I mean, now they do have power because of the internet. So, I mean, I'm sure if we took half the, you know, the trolls out in the world and put them on the street, it's, I don't think they'd be ready to fight. You know what I mean? It's not like these guys could hold their own in even a debate. No. Not, not, a, not even a civilized debate. I'm not even talking about fighting. I, don't, I doubt if they could even handle themselves in a civilized debate. And at least in the old days, you had to do that. You had to write something. You had to write something to represent yourself physically uh, with your words and and crowd thing. Now it just seems like uh, you know if you have the right button to push to p- piss people off, you win. And that's a shame. They shouldn't be rewarded for. There's no talent in getting. You know, I can wind somebody up pretty good myself. I'm sure you guys could too. But do you? It's like. No, there's there's no point. There's no because no, you're a human being. That's why. And these people are acting like, oh, well, there's new rules for being a human. It's like, nah, I think the same rules apply. And it's getting weird, too, like. Hearing a lot about the U.S. curriculum starting to implement critical race theory into the schools and all they're doing is teaching kids to hate the country they live in and hate themselves and hate their families and their ancestry. I, I can't see anything good coming out of that. Well, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. That's not going to go down. I mean, you know, that, that's another thing that people are making a big deal. That's never going to go down. <clears throat> if you're really looking for, people are looking for conspiracy theories, something like, 
there's things that people talk about that piss people off and that's everything now. So uh, this thing like the critical race theory, um, which I've read and I've seen the whole thing. And it's like, that's just never going to fly. Not, you know, no one's going to accept it. No one's going to accept it. The only thing America's ever accepted is the bullshit story. And that will (laughs) still go on. The famous bullshit story that I was taught when I was a kid, which, oh, America was great. We had a couple, we had a little Indian problem. We brushed them out of the place. Yeah, we had slaves, but it's no big deal. And then the Japs attacked and we had to drop the atomic bomb. I had no choice about it. And now everything's fine, you know, which is even worse than the critical race theory. Because at one point, the countries have to, are going to have to go seriously. If we're going to continue into the future and be progressive humans, we're going to have to address some of that stuff that they address in the criminal in the uh, critical race theory. It's not about teaching people to hate their country, but teaching people to look at history for what it is, not for what was given you. Teaching the real history and let people have the information as opposed to try to swing it one way or the other. Just it's It's like the information is all around us. It's been available for years, but people just choose. They like the story. Americans love the story. They don't love reality. They love movies. Well, that's that's why there's a a huge Christian population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's why there's a huge Christian population and who would you know turn on a dime for whoever would represent them, and uh, they live in fantasy land, you know. And now we're talking. Well, I mean, since my generation. And I was there about, you know, probably about 15 years after the TV generation really started. So it was early. And I've seen nothing but an advancement of that. Well, no, there's been hit. There's been hits in the 70s. They, they tried you know, to fight back against that. But overall, money wins. Fantasy wins. People want to think good things about themselves. It used to be all Americans wanted to think the same good things about themselves, but now it's starting to fragment and they just want to fight all the time within themselves, which will be the downfall of you know, everybody when you fight amongst yourself. But there's got to be some way. That information, the history that we're talking about, that's been available since the early 70s. I mean, it was never any surprise to me as soon as I got out of high school when I learned about the real history of America. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I thought that was a little bit too pat, you know? I thought that was a little bit too easy. And, uh, and, but, but I knew even as a kid, as a cynical kid, that most people weren't going to want to believe that, you know, and the people that were, were, were treated on the shit end of the stick, were never going to like, going to let it go. So that's basically where you got now. You got people who were on the shit end of history going, look, man, not for nothing, but you, you, at least admit it. They exactly. won't. No, no, they, they, they'll like, you know, I mean, if you look at the Tucker Carlson's and people of this world, they're, they're trying to take it back to 1950 style where everything's fine. You know, that's like, dude, you're going to get so fucking killed in the future because the future is right behind you. And it doesn't the future does not include guys like you. No, it does not. This is like those old guys last stand. You could tell they're scared. You know, and, and, and they're overly afraid because they're so fucking guilty of their own bullshit. They think it's going to be like hip hop nation. You know, in, in, in their mind, their terror is just like fucking 
crazy homeboys, like, you know, burning down their house and making love to their children <laughs> because they spent their whole life, you know, going, blah, 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 blah. it's like, yeah, you reap what you sow, motherfucker. And I'm just so glad I grew up in a world of music where it proves that people work together all the time, regardless. I mean, people, regardless of institutionalized, even institutionalized racism, when people get to a certain age, you start to forget that, or not forget it, but you put it aside because you work together because you're all from the same goddamn country. It's like, there's not enough time to hate. Just like whatever you grew up with, whatever bullshit that you learned from the old history, leave it aside and get on with it. And that's the music community always did that. So 100%. And they just got exactly real about it. And that's what gets me about pissing me off about this time is that everyone is so idealistic on both sides. That uh, once again, it's like, you know, you guys are saying both on the left and the right that you care about society in such a way that no one else can care. So you're both being unrealistic. It's just like, it really should be a time where somebody just comes in and goes, all you kids, shut the fuck up and do something. Make some art. You know, like, get off each other's backs. So if you got to tear down a couple statues, who cares? You know what I mean? General Lee and all that shit. Yeah, get rid of it. Absolutely. Who cares? But it, weird times and getting weirder. Yeah, it's definitely getting weirder. Do you address any of that in your music when you're writing? Like, do you get political or try to be at least metaphorical with lyrics or things like uh, that? Metaphorical all the time. I always have, you know, like I've never gone for strict politics because strict politics changes so much and it's such a, um, uh, I think it, it's, it's illusory. Um, my thing has always been to the stuff that I put in my music all the time is just the, oh, the cosmic madness of growing up in a world that's, especially in America, where everything is the perception of it. The cosmic joke of advertising culture being uh, the overwhelming winner, being used by politics, by, you know, no matter what. At the top, the people at the top, they're there. We're here. They have nothing to do with us. You know what I mean? They're playing us as customers. It's not conspiracy theories. It's not trying to control the world through nanites in our bloodstream, through vaccines. It's just a simple thing. Buying and selling. And having more than the other person. That's all it is. Sell them. Sell them on it. They found a new way to sell now, which is to divide people, which was, used to be unthinkable. But now there are a lot of people who think they can do it. If they can get enough nuts involved, scare enough people, well, they could drive up the ratings on one station or another. So, you know, pick your side, you know, uh, be it left or be it right. There's money to be made. MSNBC makes more money now that they, they copy Fox, except they're like the anti-Fox. It's like World Federation wrestling. Yeah, it's, it's tribalism at its uh, finest. Yeah. For sure. And it's tribalism that's really being, it's represented through these stations and stuff, but I don't think it's represented through the, through the mainstream of the culture. I mean, if it did, then Trump would have won by overwhelming numbers. 
we're looking at a freak show that's partly built on people's perceptions of what's going on through a little screen, you know? And, and it's like your average person in America that I see doesn't want to have anything to do with either one of those people, either one of them, because it's too extreme. They just, I think most people just want to be left alone, you know, or, but when you start raising stuff like moral panic and these old political tricks, you know, I mean, they used to use it after the war with, with communism, you know, commies are everywhere. Be scared. Be an American. Commies are everywhere. You know, it's like commies weren't everywhere. Yeah. They were in some places, but it, you know, it wasn't like, you know, they're coming out of the trees. Um, Everything's exaggerated to the point where if somebody can capitalize on it and our military capitalize on that. Now our media companies are capitalizing on basically having moral crisis. And a moral crisis is something that no one can ever really figure out. I mean, you can't. That's like asking the church to come in and like, well, you know, those guys will make the right decision. (laughs) It really bugs me now. It's kind of, it's killing humor. You know, it makes you afraid to tell jokes. It makes you afraid to like, you know, one wrong move and you're on some political side that you never meant to be on in the first place. Yeah. That's the, the scary part is when it, it, it affects art. That is, is literally just art. It's not meant to, you know, to do the things that people are making it out to do. Right. Yeah. Art was the place where you could say stuff that people would go, <gasps> you know, like, Oh, I don't want to hear that. I mean, I counted on it to do it, but now, the politicians have like, like go across this line, especially the right. They've crossed a line where it's like, you can't be a badass musician. You can't any be more insane or badass or punk rock than Donald Trump. You know what I mean? He's the ultimate punk rocker. He's like Johnny Rotten for president. Fuck <laughs> yeah! You know, it's like, you've done it. He's the Johnny Rotten for old white people. No matter what you say, it's someone else's fault. Fuck them! even though he was the president he's like fuck the president you know it's, yeah you're not you're not wrong cuckoo but they I, but people identify with that fuck you is the good old american fuck you ism um that comes up only in a country that has never had it that bad mm-hmm. you know what i mean if this was europe it wouldn't last because you know why because their country was in fucking flames 80 years ago. They got bombed. They went through world wars over people like Donald Trump. They saw what the actual what the actual comeuppance was from full-on fascism and dreaming and all this bullshit. They had to pull their stuff together. They had to pull it together because they had been through two world wars in one century. Their countries got bombed. Their women raped, destroyed. America never had that. We never had one bomb dropped on us from anybody else. We lived, you know, hundreds of years being absolutely, hey, never suffered. So how would these people know? They think it's their right to just go and, and fucking hate everybody it, it, and complain, you know? I don't even think they consider it hate. I think they just consider it their right to complain. And of course, I have a right to complain. And... Yes, I have a right to believe in in QAnon theories, and I'm sure that there's somebody out there plotting against me right now. And (laughs) makes sense to me. And it's like, they're plotting for you to spend your money the way you're spending your money now. It's it's really, really simple. 
But when people start making their money off of other people hating each other, that's bizarre. And that's what I think is going on now. A lot of people banking who really don't mind this situation that much. Yeah, it's the whole cancel culture thing is it, it is it's discerning when it's affecting art. It, it's upsetting, especially comedy. I It'll don't, go I don't know away. Because, you know, go ahead. I, like, I'm trying to think of like how much it would affect music, like the cancel culture thing, because I don't know if if cancel lyrics culture so, so far doesn't hurt humanity. I mean, they're not hurting; they're only hurting celebrities, you know. So, I mean, it's like again, it's a, like another pussy move by a country that's never really been. If it was, if we were really dangerous. Cancel culture would you be canceling out normal people? But they can't do it. It's only their opinion versus a celebrity. And celebrities and people in music and or, or any kind of celebrity or stuff, they part of the rules of their business is they make people happy. So if the crowd decides you're not making us happy, then you go down for whatever reason. It doesn't even have to be fair. So as far as I can see, cancel culture is not a real danger. It's just stupid. Right. I agree. You know, if it's not hurting me, you know, I'd have to go out of my, you know, I'd literally have to go shoot a baby in the head, you know, <laughs> and I'd get canceled. But, you know, um, yeah. just kidding, folks. Um, <laughs> That's an interesting concept. But, you, you, yeah, you know what I mean? I really have to go out and, like, talk some horrible sexist thing and, and like, threaten a puppy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, in yeah, the I see world. they came after uh, they came after Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson. Well, I mean, they came after Marilyn Manson because Marilyn Manson was begging for it. Right. He was asking for it. You know, when you set up the Nazi rape room in your house, you know you're going to get bad press. That's true. That is you know true. what I mean? Yeah, there, there's, a little, there's a little more to the Marilyn Manson one than uh, yeah. just a straight attack. <laughs> well, the thing is, all right. So, all right. So, the it's bad news for bad news for celebrities right now. It's bad news for celebrities with any kind of off-brand humor or anything that could perceived as racist or or uh, <clears throat> misogynist or anything. Which is always, I mean, I never have a problem with that. I mean, racism, misogyny is not something that needs a you know. Let's protect the racist. You know, that's never been like my thing. Um, you, you protect the right to say it. But there's always been a kind of an unwritten contract in, in America that racism and misogyny and the stuff that's like, dangerous to other people's lives and who they are as individuals is universally accepted as a bad thing. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe I was raised Catholic or something, but it just doesn't strike me as something to fight for. And it's, it's unnecessarily mean. All right, if you, if you make an art project out of it, that's one thing. You're disgusting thing. But if you put it in your life and go, yeah, I've got a Nazi rape room and I'm drugging women and fucking them. Yeah, I think you go to jail for that. Definitely. <laughs> you know, at least in my state, <clears throat> the thing in rock and what's weird about music and, and, and like, and, and 
people should be worried. I mean, rock is so small, they're not even paying attention to it. You know, the best thing they can get a rock is some poor guy jerking off, you know, that poor guy from that poor fucking guy from uh, what, what game? Megadeth. Interesting. No, the other guy, the bass player, who's got caught jerking off, and they, they had a film of him jerking off. Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah, to some like 19 year old girl, and he's like 56. So they, <laughs> like, they, they, they just ran him over the coals on like Blabbermouth in those places. You pig. And it's like, that's the best you can do. They got that, and they got Manson. Yep. And so what do they do to Trent Reznor? They give him Trent Reznor shit? Yeah, I think it's a similar like mistreating ex girlfriends or yeah. I didn't I didn't look into it. I I saw a meme that said consent Resner, and it was like a picture of him asking to asking a girl if he could please fuck her like <coughs> an animal. <laughs> right. It's never you know with that kind of stuff with the internet. I don't even know how that. I mean, I think it's going to be weird for the rest of our lives. I mean, there's certain aspects of rock and roll. And just basic living, um, edgy living, say, non-religious living, like say, let's a little bit on the moral. I mean, everybody's got their own morals, so what are you going to say? But meaning anything that's going to go over into dicey territory, as long as the internet is 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 around, it's going to be fodder for for opinion. Um, yeah, it used to be when media was slower. You could actually bank on that. You could actually get a bad reputation and come out on top. Like, oh, he's such a bad boy. That's great, you know. Or it brought a lot of eyeballs to you. Um, they couldn't really cancel. They could. There'd be enough public blowback, so maybe promoters wouldn't hire the person, or the TV show wouldn't put them on, or Johnny Carson won't put you on. I think that's what's all that's going on now. I mean, the worst they can do, the cancel culture can do is just talk shit about you, but they can't make you do anything. I think there's going to be, it's really up to the TV stations, the people and record companies. Yeah. They want to be brave about it. They'll keep them on their label. If they want to be pussies about it, they'll drop them. You know, it's like, or, or not pussy. If they just, it's a how how they want. It, it's their business, and they want to show themselves. I think, but I think, personally, I think the less said about it, the better. Because I haven't seen anybody. With the Manson is a great story. You know, that's a great story. I mean, it's fucking amazing because he wanted that to happen. I mean, he, this guy asked for it. I know Manson. You know, I knew at least I knew him at one point, at least peripherally. And, yeah, you guys toured with him, didn't you? Yeah. It was always cool and Twiggy, like awesome. Um, but you could tell that he was, he wanted to do this. I want to be the king of the bad guys. You know, it's like the hip hop guys, the same thing. I want to be, this is what I want. How much can I get away? How much bad behavior can I get away? I'll push it and push it and push it. Well, that's point, and, and it's one of those things when you're young and you're 20 and you don't have it yet. Everyone cheers you to do it. But as soon as you get old enough to do it, you just look like an old creep. And that's a, another interesting point about that, too, is you kind of reminded me with like the, the hip hop culture is they 
the culture in hip hop now is like what rock and roll used to be, whereas like the the badass is celebrated. Like the the edgier, the more the the crazier shit you've yeah. done is well, celebrated. And and it's not so much in rock anymore. It's the culture's shifted where it's okay there and it's not okay in rock. Well, it, it's it, it's not okay in rock because there's no young people in rock. Mm. But but you know I mean, I mean even like, a bunch of thirty, you know, when when the girls started like thirty, there's hardly any girls. You know, they don't know about it. It's a bunch of fucking dudes. Hip hop's got girls, you know, and blah blah blah, and it's young people, and they want edgy. I I, I still think other old kids want edgy. At one yeah. point, there's going to be a big blowback against this whole cancer culture. You watch. You know, within so. 10 years, it'll be a, a fucking steady stream of the most outrageous fucking over-the-top shit you'll ever, and it won't be able to stop it because as soon as you try to stop something, people just push more. Yeah, And, and the hip-hop thing, believe me, I, I saw that happen in the 90s. When I was starting Magnet, and I decided to turn up the volume on Magnet from psych, just not just psychedelic to to rock. Mm. I was like, man, you know, the rock bands I'm playing with aren't owning it. It was like the big, the set piece and the biggest example to the rock world at when I was doing Magnet, about two albums in, was Nirvana. And Nirvana's main message, whether they knew it or not, was like, guess what? Making it isn't worth it. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot myself in the head. <laughs> you know, fuck it. I made it all the way. This isn't good. I'm just a little white boy from a trailer park. Fuck it. I can't take it. I'm gonna blow myself in it. He wore a shirt that said "loser." Um, most of the rock bands and the grunge bands were trying to play down stereotypes, um, rock and roll stereotypes. None of this hair band stuff. We're not gonna be like Motley Crue. Fuck all that. Fuck this Leds up on shit. Fuck all that. We're going to play it down. We're going to be real. And and guess what? Kids don't want real. <laughs> you know? And that's why the hip-hop guys did so well. They're like, what do you mean real? I want to fucking get out of the neighborhood and fucking buy cars. You know? They had more to do with the psyche of your average American kid than the grunge bands did. They represented everything that your average American consumer wanted and had little to do with race. Although I think it had to do with, with their situation because all those guys grew up really, really poor. You know, the hip hop guys grew up mainly in inner city poor and they were like, man, fuck you. I'm not ashamed of wanting three Cadillacs and a million girls. You know, of course that's the great American dream. So, and they did, and they set that example. Um, to millions and millions of kids. And, and I think that's why hip hop worked. Um, that's why it took over as the new rock. You know, yeah. it was really I, would, I would agree. Cause it's, it, cause it's more of that same attitude that rock used to have and used yeah. to swing. Yeah. I'm young. Fuck it. Um, you, you, all you guys made up these rules. I'm going to disobey every one of those rules. Like the hip hop yeah. guys were like, Oh, what the rules are. You have to get signed by a lawyer. And get together with five other guys and work out songs. Fuck that. I got a turntable in my voice. And I'm going to have a million girls. And, uh, and I'm going to make videos. And I'm going to blow all you guys away. It was total rock. Total rock and roll attitude. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then things got weird because, I mean, the, the rock bands tried to, tried to do it. They did new metal. 
Oh. You know? And that was their idea of like, oh, we'll add some hip hop into it. That didn't work out there. Bro. Gross. <laughs> um, so one of the original names of Magnet was Triple Bad Acid. And I wanted to ask about like that name and ha- what was the effect, like what was the influence of maybe drug culture on the band on, in the early days? Huge, uh, huge. I mean, all, all my, like I said, I wanted to make a band. Um, I wanted to be in a band and write songs for a band that would, would have been my favorite band at say age 60. So, and, and so I did Mont Magnet in my late 20s and early 30s. So I wasn't that far away from being a kid. And I remembered, and, and I went back, it's like, what would be my favorite band? And funny, it wasn't punk rock, not the band I was in, but it was the stuff that I saw as a kid. So it was all Bond culture, like black light posters, uh, biker movies, Russ Myers uh, movies, uh, B culture, 60s and early 70s, insane acid culture uh if you look at that stuff and the writings from the time uh authors like tom wolf and hunter s thompson especially hunter s thompson's brilliant fucking writer um it was all about not quite anarchy but just insanity for insanity's sake like irresponsibility um deifying everything uh and really heavily sexual too like and, and while you're having this religious experience on drugs, you'll also get laid a lot. You know, it's just all this stuff that doesn't fit together. Yet it did because it was the 60s. Um, that's what I wanted. So I would bring all my memories into that. The stuff that I loved when I was a little kid and people that I knew I grew up with, like um, <clears throat> these muscle car kids that I went to school with who drive around in like souped up Camaros and fucking we would do, you know, like giant industrial strength cans of, uh, of whippet, you know, of a hospital, like a, of whippets in cars, uh, tripping and driving fast, you know, uh, taking LSD, driving fast, going to Hawkwind shows, um, playing army in the woods, <laughs> like apocalypse now, like with camouflage paint and uh, having sex with our girlfriends, like tied to trees, you know, in the <laughs> woods, just cause it was fun. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. They loved no, that, it. That's like, all we're going to have a game. And the, the game was, we're going to chase you girls through the woods. With, and, and they're like, yeah, this is great. You know? And so we're tripping and having sex and just pretty much. Badassery. What can I say? I'm from New Jersey. It's like, you know, <laughs> you get these weird ideas in your head on what's cool and what's fun. It was all like a big game, like playing of a game. And everybody would, would role play these games. And it's weird because the people I hung around with, not dangerous people. We're all musicians and stuff. If we all lived in our heads, you know, it wasn't like we had real guns or, or any of that shit. We weren't farmers. We weren't anything. We're just the suburban kids fueled by all these images that we grew up in, all these sounds. Zeppelin, Sabbath, Stooges, Hawkwind. That was the soundtrack. And for the movie, it was uh, Russ Meyer's movies, Big Boobs, uh, Fast Cars, uh, like to say the biker movies, uh, science fiction movies, like 2001, you know, and just all this stuff just seemed to go well together to me. Anyway, it just seemed like my perfect, perfect yeah, like world. a whole aesthetic. That's that's that is. Oh so, yeah, the band was based on that, and I, I I I brought lyrically into all of that. All the lyrics were 
constantly, whether, whether I was talking about something else or not, all the lyrics were very personal. They're actually stories about me and my life, but I figured if I wrote them straight out and honestly straight out as a declaration, this is what happened. Um, they'd be boring. So I use metaphors constantly and I would blow up my normal things in my life. Like if I broke up with my girlfriend, I would explain that in a song as the earth splitting in two. The earth split in two today. That's one statement. Boom. And fuck you if you can't understand that's just because I broke up with my girlfriend. It's a lot more interesting to think that the guy is writing the fucking earth split open. That's a lot more interesting than a guy breaking up with his girlfriend. And on and on it went. And I started putting all these 70s, all my favorite references to movies and scenes and stuff like that. It became a kind of an erstwhile method of poetry, really. Yeah. I don't know if it's good poetry, but it's not your typical lyrical you know, way to go. I, I didn't mind being ambiguous about it either. I wanted people to listen to the lyrics and go, well, either, got, either that guy's fucking out of his mind or it's some sort of genius poetry, you know? Never let them know exactly what's going on. Right. So, like, that that's a great description of your relationship with drugs in the early days. Now, I know you've been very open about your overdose in 2006 on prescription Yeah, that medication. was a totally different thing. That was the unfun drug. Yeah, that was like, that was the worst worst fucking part of my life because i really blew it you know after all these years of having such a great time and i just kept working harder i turned into this basically this guy that's working uh, behind the eight ball you know trying to keep my band alive and trying to tour in many places in the world and still get a good sleep so it wasn't even hey let's get high it was just like i need to go to sleep so yeah, i can do the, the show fun. Right. So I wish I could say, yeah, I overdosed in bed with like, you know, having a good time. It's like, no, this was just like, I got to see the doctor to get my pills because I can't sleep and I can't sing if I don't sleep. Got caught in uh, another very now a very uh, a well-known story of uh, American pharmaceutical abuse. Right. Know, Luckily for me, it didn't last long. You know? Right. But it fucked me up. Yeah. Took me How out of the game for about two years, I think. How has that affected your relationship with drugs since then, with music and with your personal life and with everything? Not in my personal life and everything, probably a lot better since it's over. But music was never something that I, I never wrote when I was high. And it's interesting, like the whole beginning of Monster Man, the whole time I was completely straight that whole time. I had just gotten bored with drugs. I'd gotten bored with drugs by the time I was about 24 and hmm. drinking too. I was over it. And I was just like, oh, you know, I've done this so many times. I did so much acid. I drank so much. I'm a complete fucking maniac. Then I just enjoyed being straight. It was like the new high to me. Like straight is the new high. And um, so all that Monster Man stuff I wrote. And still, I've never written a Monster Man song high. It's always coffee. Coffee and, you know, late, late nights and stuff. And uh, I'll write in terms of in terms of being high, it's not like I can't remember. You know, right. it's like, oh, I know exactly. In fact, I think probably now if I leaned on my liver hard enough or my pancreas and squeezed, I'd probably get some residual LSD from like 1974. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it was more important for me to, to be in control of the situation. Um, uh, so I could represent, I, I, I could represent, re, excuse me, represent the experience um, correctly. And since the, the, the drug thing, I OD'd on the prescription drugs, um, that was just actually looked like a restart um, in a lot of ways to my life. I started reading more um, and uh, I just got to like enjoy life again because for a couple of years there in Magna, I was just going. I mean, we would tour from, you know, you've heard these stories, it's the same old story with rock bands. It's like, are we playing Australia now and then we're going to fly to Europe then we're going to fly to America? It's like, there's no time to sleep and you get crazy in the head. And um, there is, you know, and there's never enough money, you know, because everything costs so much money. So you get caught. I was basically caught like a businessman. Like, well, how big do you want to be? You know, it's like, it's like, it's not Metallica big. It's like, what do you want to do with this band? You know, are you going to keep knocking at the door and try to take over the world and, and take drugs so you can do that? You know, or are you just going to, stop and like figure it out of course i did it you know the good old american way which is oops too many pills next thing you know i wind up in a hospital it's like well, i think i just made up my mind for myself yeah absolutely so it's good since it's like no nah, i don't i don't do drugs but I, I know i didn't really want to anyway you know before that or drinking stuff i'm believe me i'm crazy enough without it it's like you don't want to see me drunk or high I'm like the, the person that would like sit on the ground with a, a bag of army men, plastic army men and plastic dinosaurs <laughs> and play, you know, look, the dinosaurs eating the army guy. Yeah. Okay, dude. Not like seeing a fucking, you know, 63 year old man on the, on the ground playing with plastic dinosaurs. It's not good. <laughs> um, I had a question sent in from a good friend of mine, uh, John McAdam. He wanted to know if there's such thing as too many groupies. Yes. Unbelievable as it may seem. Interesting. Good, well, it's, it's a quality thing. Aha. Uh -huh. uh, that's yeah. a good, good, good explanation. Well, you want, you want, you know, everybody want, you want real passion in your life, you know? And as soon as something's free, you know, it's like, it's too easy. There's gotta be something else to it. In the beginning, there, you know, I would say it, it all depends on the level. Like, yeah, um, is, if your your friend is new at starting out to this, I would say, no, I'd say the first five years, there is no such thing as two. <laughs> and then like check back after the next couple of years to see what everything. But, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, because when, when it does come true, you're like, holy shit. You know, I mean, I was a, a nerdy, really nerd kid and really shy. You know, so I didn't do good with girls in high school. I was just, you know, I needed to change my personality, like reinvent it in some way where I could represent outside of myself, like this fictional character. Um, or not quite like Alice Cooper, but basically change my way of to bring out certain aspects of my personality that I'd be embarrassed to do in real life on stage. And, uh, that whole rock and roll rebirth thing. And it works, but along with that comes all this stuff that you never expected before. And some of that's like, uh, you know, uh, attention, you know, attention from other people. And it, it could be from women, 
you know? And then you're like, God bless rock and roll. This is fucking great. Until you get to the point where it's like, what am I, Motley Crew? You know? <laughs> but everyone's got, I guess everyone's got their own balance point. I always, always look for more uh, real passion, uh, uh, less groupies, more real passion. But uh, it can be found in both, I must say. Awesome. Um, so the tour, hopefully North America, probably not till 2022, you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Will that it's include, not that far away. Will that include much Canadian dates? I sure hope so. I love playing Canada. Canada's the best, man. Canada's like, people still remember how to rock there. And, uh, you know, it's, um, we always had, I always had such a great time in Canada. I'd make records there. Got absolutely no problem with Canada. I must move there in the last four years. It was this yeah. close. <laughs> We're on, I'm on the East Coast. I'm here in New Brunswick, and Ryan's in. Uh, he's in Calgary, Alberta, most of the mm -hmm. time. But uh, anything East Coast, I would love to love to meet up and check that out. It'd be so uh, awesome. I, you know, I know we'll be in Toronto. You know, I mean, have to, you have to, you can't not play Toronto. You know, so. um, yeah, I always had such a I had crazy times in Canada too, man. It's like, like what? Give us a story. Give us a Canadian not, tour story. No. Nothing. You can't give us it, nothing. It cancel me. <laughs> it's like I said. It's like that's another thing about about being in a rock band for like you know, in my mind, I've been in a rock band too long. Like it, if. I can't believe I'm doing this stuff and still really liking it after all these years. If, if my 14 year old self would kick my 64 year old self out of the room going like, what's that fucking old dude doing here? Get the fuck out. Um, <clears throat> but I ain't going away because it's just too much fun. It's, it's, you know, it's really rock, but talking about it and, and the intricacies of some of the, uh, let's say more superficial enjoyment of the rock industry. If you know what I can mean, gentlemen, I got you. It doesn't sound yeah. good coming from an old guy. It just looks like some crazy old guy. If I was 30. Yeah. I'd be telling you all the stories, but now it'd be just like, did you see the guy from Boston? I did old creep. <laughs> um, these days, you know, but man, it's like Canada, uh, yeah, that's what people don't realize about Canada down here. Canada has this, you know, this big reputation of like everybody's friendly and everyone's like really cool and goofy and stuff. It's like they don't fucking have no idea, you know? No. It like, oh, it, it, yeah, the it could... craziest shit I've ever seen going on in my life has been in Canada. <laughs> I would agree with that too. <laughs> Just because you guys got a better PR. You know, you got good PR. <laughs> That's definitely it. It is the PR of Canada. It is. For sure. Yeah. yeah. We put Friendly out the faces going on. Everybody yeah, puts up a good front. I don't know how you're doing. So, then they yeah. get back to it. And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can make some of that crazy behind the scenes happen when you come to the East Coast. There's nothing like it, man. Uh, you know, rock and roll is, uh, I really sound like an over 
that old style, which is going, I guess, going away now, which it doesn't mean it has to go away forever. I think people, whatever music we're talking about, people reinvent it. There's always somebody, some shy soul that reinvents themselves through some sort of their art or their entertainment or whatever. <clears throat> and then to get to live a life that's um, more extreme than they ever thought they could because of the way they represent themselves through their art or whatever. That's never going to go away. But I, I could say in the, in the rock and roll way, uh, which was being artistic and basically a good person, but morally <laughs> on the edge, meaning adventurous. Now, I wonder, why should I bring morals into this? Adventurous in your youth and your sexuality, um, uh, as far as, you know, it, it's, it was the best. That's fucking awesome. I never would have had that kind of good time. The adventures you have, it's like all through, not because I, I beat somebody to do it, but because I basically got involved in something where everyone was like, all right, this is what we should do. You know, a, a truly, you know, uh, you know a, a, a true, it was like a hedonistic party there for a while. Yeah, all the players were in on it, male and female. You know what I mean? Like it was all you know consent. This is what happens. This is what happens in this situation. Let's all live the stereotype, and that's all I could ever ask for. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, there's no crying. There's no, you know, none of these stories. Not none of these like Manson stories of people suing and crying. And, you know, it was all like it was all good. Yeah, it's just like what you'd want it to be. Hey man, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you've been extremely generous with your time, and this has been an honor. Just, no, no problem, dude. Nice so, to talk. Yeah, this definitely. So cool. I hope yeah. I see you out there next year. I hope so too. I really do. Um, final thoughts. Send us off, Dave. Oh shit! What should my final thought? I don't know how many final thoughts? Oh yeah, just. Hold, just sit in your kitchen right now, wherever you are, and don't move until Monster Magic plays your town. Just keep pouring <laughs> the coffee. Oh, no, you can go to work, make money, and then be, be at the ready. Perfect. Because I Hold need to sell T-shirts. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave. Rock on, dudes. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Take it easy. Hey guys, if you're still here listening and you haven't done so already, you might as well take a minute and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All these links can be found at liveinthedream506.com. Thank you for your support and keep dreaming.